Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, Nils, thank you for being here today, buddy. We are so excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Drew. Yes, sir. Well, we're going to start where we always start, which is I would love to know what the series of events were that led you to doing what you're doing today. Uh, where do you want me to start? Like I, when I was born or <laughs> like what? Let's not go that far back. Um, but yeah, let's go back to the, to the, the last maybe um, exit ramp or place where you had to make the decision to focus on what you're focused on and to being a part of building this company. Yeah. So, I mean, just, uh, just to dip a little bit into my, my early past, I come from a very artistic family. Um, so my dad was an art teacher. My, both my parents were art majors. Uh, my dad did a bunch of, uh, watercolor sculptures, all kinds of uh, mediums. So I was surrounded by arts and, and sort of, um, you know, always learning how to, how to perceive the visual world since I was a little kid. So, um, did a ton of drawing and everything myself. And, and when I became about, I don't know, probably late high school, I was really interested in, uh, computer animation. Um, cause I think that was like when Jurassic Park came out and it was just amazing to me how they could make, you know, dinosaurs look real. So, yeah. um, I wanted to go to school for that. So I, when I was about 20, I went to a sort of trade school um, for computer animation, uh, which started with a course in graphic design. So I learned how to use like way back in the early days, like Illustrator and Photoshop and things like that. I never did pursue the, the animation thing, but uh, I got really interested in design, just uh, graphic design, branding, that sort of thing. So um, in my late 20s, I started my own design firm and I focused on, uh, as I said, branding, identity design, uh, anything visual print stuff. Um, but, but the demand really quickly, uh, was hitting for, uh, interface design. And it, it's not something that I even, I necessarily knew what it was, you know, you know, people were throwing around. Is. Yeah. Like UX and UI user experience, and user interface design. It, it's something that I didn't know what it was, but it was basically, you know, designing how people interact with, with software. Um, so I, I learned that really quickly and enjoyed it a lot. Um, so what I needed though, was someone to actually code it. So I could do the design of the interface, but I'm not a developer. I'm not a, I don't know how to, how to, how to do the ones and zeros. So I met, uh, we, I was at a co-working space at the time and I met uh, someone named Robert Nelson, who's, who's a co-founder of Foundry right now. And he had a little software company. I had my design company. And we, we started just working with each other. You know, he, did, he needed people to design the interfaces that his clients needed. And I needed people to code the interfaces that my, so it, it was like, we just kept cutting each other checks basically. <laughs> um, but then we decided like, we, we worked really well together. We had a passion for good design uh, and, and how people interact with it. And so we decided to dissolve our companies and, build out a, a proper agency uh, with, with actual employees and, and like, uh, you know, big business stuff, which we weren't really used to, you know, it was just us at the time. So 
um, that's kind of what led me here. Um, and now, you know, that? we, so that was 2000. We, well, Foundry started in 2005. So we're, okay. I'm sorry, 2015. So we're almost six oh, years much old. Much different. Much different. Um, but Robert and I have been working together for about 10 years. So, uh, you know, lots of ups and downs, lots of, uh, trying to figure out how, how each other works and, and lots of, uh, concessions and you know you know how it goes it's oh, it's yeah. been a great ride but um you know we still we still work really well together and uh you know we've built a really incredible team so i'm i'm super proud of it heck yeah all right so let's go to 2015 where you said hey i think it's time we dissolve our individual businesses and form a proper agency in your mind mm-hmm. what was a proper agency what does that mean well what it means is we wanted to hire really talented people and do really good work. And it wasn't a money grab or anything. It was just about, um, you know, designing and building really cool software. Uh, and that's where Robert and I met in the middle. It was like, we, we both had a passion for that. Um, and we've kind of stuck with that ever since, you know, culture is super important to us. Um, doing fun projects and having good clients is super important for us. Um, we don't want to work with, you know, mean people. So we we're we're fortunate enough to be able to, uh, you know, choose our clients uh, and, and say no to some people. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, we both had that dream of just building an agency, um, you know, a design style agency where design was first and uh, just building the team out. So, you know, we wanted to be, uh, when we first started talking about this, we wanted to be uh, 30 to 50 people that was just kind of the, the, the number that was in our head at the time. Um, and we're at about 40 now. So we're getting there. And, and I don't know, I, I think Robert and I probably aren't exactly on the same page with how big we should get. Like I, I don't really care, <laughs> you know, I, well, I don't like, I, I, I we could be a hundred people as long as the, the work we do is solid and keeps getting better. I never want to plateau and that people, that we don't mess up the culture. Like I, I, we, we care a lot about our employees and, and about their well being and, and that they're having fun doing what they're doing. Cause otherwise, you know, what's the point, honestly, like, I don't, I, 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 I'm, you know, I'm doing this to have fun and, you know, it's not always fun, but we should be, you should enjoy what you're doing, you know, yeah. otherwise, otherwise there's no point in my mind. Yeah. Sorry yeah, about a, that rant. I kind of went off on that one. But. I like rants. You can keep ranting. Uh, I, so I, I like that. So I think everybody's got a different goal or, or meaning of what does success look like. For some people, bigger is the goal, right? Like in and of itself, however we get there, bigger is the goal. I want an empire. I want more cash flow, whatever. For other people, it's more like bigger is fine as long as the culture is this, you know, is what I want it to be. The client work is the, the ones we love to serve and the, the level of quality that we're used to delivering. And that sounds more like your, your kind of definition of success. It, Am I right? it is. It, you are right. Exactly. Um, but it's, I think the main thing for us, and, and this is why Robert is, is, is very um, careful about that number is that um, there's, first of all, there's a shortage of, of workers in our industry, right? It's, it's hard to find uh, developers and, and designers who, who can do this really well. Um, They are out there. There's a lot of good talent out there, but they're all working. I mean, there's like a negative unemployment rate in this industry. So it's, 
we are working against physics and, and numbers that way, right? Where we, if we want to do le this level of work, we need really talented people. And there's, it's, it just takes a long time to, to grow that team. So, um, meaning there's more demand for that industry than there is supply right now. A ton. There's a ton of demand. And, uh, you know, we, we're always trying to hire developers and designers and it's, it's just, there's not a lot out there. Are you able so, to take somebody who's really green and, and kind of apprentice them into the person you want? Or that's a, that that's a really good question. Yeah. So we kind of have it down where we have a ratio now. Um, uh, not, not anything written down, but we know if we have some super senior people, you know, we, we want to be able to bring on some people who are a little earlier in their careers. Um, but that does take time and mentorship from the rest yep. of the team. And we don't want to just l leave someone hanging without any support. I mean, that, that's, that's not the right thing to do. Um, so it is a, it's kind of a delicate balancing act of, of, uh, you know, senior talent to, to people who are a little bit newer in the industry. Yeah. Uh, but yes, we, we have done that and it's been, we've, we've had really good success with it as long as they have the support. Yeah. What does that, let's say, um, we take an example that Joe comes in and he's one of those people in that ratio that you've taken a chance on and said, Hey, yeah, we're going to be a part of mentoring you and kind of apprenticing you up to the, up to the level eventually of, of where we would typically like you to be. What have you guys put in place or what, how do you approach someone like that to take them through that mentorship apprenticeship process? Yeah. Well, well, first of all, we give them a lot of time. Like we don't expect them to jump into projects right, right away. We give them maybe some internal initiatives that we're working on um, something that's a little, maybe less client facing. Um, but then we always assign a mentor to that person. Um, so they'll, they'll, uh, they'll be available for questions for pair programming, things like that. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> and that's good for the, for the rest of the team too. I mean, I, I certainly uh, just personally, I love mentoring people because I, it's not about me like giving my wealth of knowledge. It's about me learning too, right? Like I right. learn just as much from the, from who I'm mentoring uh, as they do from me. Uh, it's, and it's fun. So I think most of the people in our company, most of the team is really uh, into that idea. And so there's really no problem finding, someone to, to, to take someone on. Right. Yeah. How long would it be typically, I know we're just speaking in generalizations, that kind of stuff, but how long would it take for someone to come in real early in their career and get to the place where they're no longer really seen and operating as, as kind of a, an apprentice, but like they've, they've kind of made it through that process. Is that like, yeah, two I, years? Is that, Oh, I don't think that long. I think like six months. Um, oh, wow. and then, and then we, again, we, we, we slowly, um, introduce them to more, uh, you know, complex projects and, and, and things like that, uh, and more client facing stuff. Um, and so I think the, the learning curve, it, it's very quick in, in this company, you know, we're an agency, so it's, we don't build internal products. We build products for all different industries. Um, and what that means is you can, you, you have to learn really quickly, you know, yeah. you're, you're jumping around, you're kind of getting your head wrapped around um, healthcare or banking or uh, some crazy startup idea or fintech or, you know, cryptocurrency. It's like we don't, we work in all different industries. And that's, um, first of all, I, I think everyone, if, if, it, if they're cut out for it, they really enjoy that. But it's also a really good way to learn quickly. Yeah. 
in your in your unique industry, is it better to be a generalist or a specialist? That's a really good question. Um, we're not specialists in that we we don't again work in any particular vertical. There's lots of agencies who just do you know, we're just into banking software. We're really right. good at it. We just do that. We're not that way at all. We're very uh, agnostic. And we feel like that's a, uh, you know, that's a really good thing because um, for instance, we've had banks come to us, uh, big organizations and say, Hey, have you done banking software? And we're like, no, we, we never have. And they really like that because we're sort of a, I don't know, disinterested third party, unbiased. Unbiased, we really. Yeah. We, we can think about it from a different angle. Um, and, and that's a really, really good thing uh, when we're trying to design software. You know, we obviously need their help. We need their subject matter expertise. Um, and, uh, but, but we bring like a different set of, set of minds and eyes that, that's yeah. really uh, valuable. Yeah. And that's why I was asking because it sounds like if you're too locked in, which some industries would need that, and you're, I'm just a specialist. And I, 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 I kill this kind of coding and for this kind of product, your team is more of that creative type. It's more of the, yeah, like I can wrap my mind around that. I can listen and learn and, and get up to speed quickly and take this bit that I learned here and this bit that I learned here and apply it to this situation. Right. Very much. Yeah. And you know, just a little bit about our industry there, there's people use these terms a lot. Uh, one of them is, uh, back-end developer, front-end developer. Back-end is like database stuff and, and you know, where all the, the business logic is. And front-end is, is basically what you see. It's like the interface. Um, we don't hire either or. We hire full-stack developers. So, and, and, and developers who don't specialize in any particular language. Um, and, and what that means is we can take on any, any crazy idea we want um, and then on the design side, we don't hire user experience designers or user interface designers. We hire product designers. So um, they do, they can do strategy, they can do research, they can do wireframing, visual design, the whole thing. So it's, it's really important in our, in our, I'm glad you said that because like everyone in our team, including developers are very creative people, Yeah. right? They can, they can kind of wrap their head around something, really get into it. And, um, and that's how we're able to, you know, build some really cool stuff. Yeah. Well, the benefit is obvious, right? So we're highlighting the benefit right now, but every strategy has a challenge, right? Every, yeah. every strength has a weakness. What's the challenge of, of that reality of hiring generalists versus specialists? Well, again, uh, going back to the short supply of, of talent, it's that it makes it even harder. Right, because we we have to find people who are who are well. There's there's three things. They have to be generalists and creative. But but the culture is so important. So we hire a lot on personality, right? Mm. Like someone has. To, we have to obviously feel that they can do the job and, and then they, they could get better at it or whatever. But it's it's all about the personality. The how chemistry. is this person? Yeah. How is this person going to work with the team? How are they going to, um, you know, contribute to the culture? because culture should always change in my mind. Um, how are they, how are they going to interface with clients? Cause we don't hide anyone. Like everyone is, is demoing and, 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 and talking to clients directly. Uh, so it's, it's, 
it that's a big challenge is finding that mix yeah we're really picky about it um you know we we again we care deeply about the culture so it's really important that we bring people on who can kind of um uh add to that culture right or shape it in, in a positive way yeah yeah it reminds me you know i've always heard is that there's three things we should always be looking for in terms of a fit competency no brainer like do you got the skills to pay the bills that we're trying to pay here character can we trust you and the third is chemistry right and that chemistry is often can be the hardest to identify or assess how how do you guys go about assessing whether someone's got that personality fit for the client or the t- or the culture mix or whatever yeah so there's always kind of a culture interview so first of all we keep our interviews really casual like it's not we don't have a list of questions we just talk so i think it's a good way to sort of um tease out someone's personality and, and if they would be a good fit it is definitely a lot more challenging now just because of you know, uh, you know the, all the virtual stuff so we're at, we're actually starting to get back into in person interviews you know we'll meet on a patio or or something like that outside and yeah. it's so much better and it's so much easier to really figure out if you know does this person have the potential to you know really really uh, add to to add to what we're doing here so yeah. um I'm, I, you know, I think I'm really, I'm personally really good at not to toot my own horn, but I'm good at, 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 at picking those things out pretty quickly. Intuitively. Um, is it more of an instinct kind of thing? It, it is. I, I just, I really like people. I'm very social. So I can tell right away if someone's gonna, you know, work out. Uh, Robert's not as good at it and he'll admit that. Um, and, and Kurt is also really good at it. So generally the culture, uh, interview we usually bring in someone um from the um you know production team so we have producers as well uh and then it's usually kurt and robert and i and we just kind of we talk we talk about like what do you like to do for fun and you know do you have any pets what do you you know we just shoot we we basically just you know talk yeah and i think that's the most and we don't talk we don't like to talk about the position itself right uh Right. We want to just want to see how they are as like a human being. What are your values? What do you, you know, what's your life like? All that stuff. Man, I love that. It, it reminds me of, I don't remember where I heard this, but somebody was talking about recognizing that they were not good at, at figuring out some of those intangibles, right? That they had hi- they had, had several mishires, but mm-hmm. this person realized their wife in social settings seemed to have an uncanny ability to, to, parse out whether someone was going to be a good friend or someone that we should stay away from and she was always <laughs> right you know and so he started secretly uh b- building the interview process where it would end if they made it through a certain stage where he and his wife would take that candidate out to dinner if they had a spouse the spouse would come too and it was his way of checking with her before he made the hire oh man that's brilliant is this person crazy or not what am i missing and then she would also somewhat get a feel for their marriage and whether, cause she was like, you can't keep crazy out. Like if they got craziness going on at home, that's going to spill into the workplace. Cause he's going to come in, you know, with his mind around the fight he just had with his wife or whatever. Yeah. And he was like, she has saved me millions of dollars on bad hires because she has what you do, which is some kind of instinct on whether this person is going to be a good fit with us and, and that kind of thing. So I, I just love the flexibility of figuring out a interview process that works for you. Right. 
Yeah, and I think it throws people off a little bit because we are so casual. You know, I think people are used to very like if, for instance, if you if you interview at Target Corporation, you go through like seven interviews from all different departments, and it's very formal, uh, very HR based. We we just don't do that. Um, we don't believe in that. We we want people to feel comfortable, and and, and again, we want people to feel natural uh, when they talk to us. Yeah. So we don't have a list of questions, you know, to prepare for. We don't say, what is your three to five year dream? You know, all those standard questions. We just keep it super casual. Especially questions that people have already game planned for. So you, you don't even know if it's the real answer or not, but it's the, here's what I'm going to ask when they ask about my weakness. Here's what, yeah. I'm, you know what I mean. Exactly. And even like we've had people come into interviews with like suits on and that's fine. Like I, we don't, that's totally cool. But yeah. they they always feel a little off because we're just sitting in t-shirts and like, you know, we're just we're just casual people. Uh, so I think it it throws people off a little bit at first, but then I think they you know they they kind of can get into their natural sort of rhythm. Um, we you know it's we try to put ourselves in their shoes, right? Like it's it's a it's a there's a lot of anxiety when you're when you're uh, applying for a job. So sure. We want, uh, we want to try to make people feel comfortable. So here's my question. Right now, you've got a healthy culture that you really enjoy. You're getting to work with great clients that you also enjoy working with, doing quality work for them. That was part of the vision early on of what you wanted to build. What was the most challenging part about getting from there to here? Oh, man. Assembling that team gaining yeah. those clients what 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 about it was hard to actually execute on that's a good question i mean so agencies in general are it's a, it's a balancing act because it's you know we basically i don't want to say we trade our time for money but it kind of is that way right yeah, yeah. so it's hiring is a big challenge and, and what i mean by that is we it's hard to know when to hire or when to overhire for future projected growth. Uh, you're always, I, I always say like you're on the top of a mountain and like down this side, you might have to let people go. And this side, you have to hire people. So it's always this like, yep. and we never want to let people go. You know, we've, we've been fortunate enough to, we've never let anyone go because of uh, loss of business. So, um, and we, we don't want to, of course. So, but it, it is a really challenging thing because sometimes we have to take on projects that we might not normally take on because we may be a little light. Um, or sometimes we, we might have to scramble uh, and get people really working hard to take on a project that we might not have time to do because we think it'll lead to other, other things down the road. So it's, it's sort of that balancing act of when do we hire and when do we stop hiring and when do we bring on new clients? It, that's, the way it is now, Drew, is it's kind of got its own uh, its own life, right? So it's it's hard to put the brakes on new business, which is a good problem to have. Uh, but it, it's that's what I mean when Robert says, you know, we want to be fifty people. Well, how do we stop, right? Like, how do we? Yeah. Okay, we're at fifty. Do we not take on new clients? We could, but that that can also damage the business, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a it's a that's the most challenging thing, I guess, in, in a long winded answer. Yeah, you could have the rebound effect where when you put your own ceiling on it, 
your growth kind of bounces off that ceiling and, and could potentially start going down the other way, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. So what does lead, how do you now think about when to hire with that project work kind of business that you have? And how do we know that this, yeah. these, this much more money is going to come in? How, how do you gauge when it's time to hire? So that's a good question. And we're still working on this, of course. But sure. we, over the past two years, I would say, we've, we've, um, we've built in some processes to allow us to forecast better, right? In the early days, we were just, it was the Wild West. We didn't really... We were so busy that we didn't really have time to even know what was coming. Yeah. So, but now we have tools that allow us to kind of see into the future a little bit. Um, we're also, you know, bringing on a, a financial person who can help us actually do proper forecasting, like yeah. financial forecasting, which is something that I, I like to say, you know, better late than never. It's probably something we should have done a while ago. Um, but that'll that'll give us even more insight into. Uh, you know, when should we hire? Can, do we have the budget to hire someone or should we overhire right now? Because we think, you know, this is where we're going to be in six months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just been trial and error. And, and, and yeah, because you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like which comes first, right? The chicken or the egg? Like, do we do we hire more people and therefore we're able to go get more business or do we wait till we get more business? It's, that, then we it's then hire so much more? that way. And and I think the bigger, like the, the more we the bigger we get, the easier that is. Cause you, obviously we have more, we have more slack now, right? We have, people can be on the bench and, and working on internal stuff and that doesn't kill our, our cash flow. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. we were five people or five to 10 people, we had to just work constantly. Um, but now we have that, we have that freedom. So, and that's why I like being a little, little bit bigger of an agency. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When you look back, I'm curious, what were the stages of, of kind of growth. Like often it's like, yeah, we were five people for a while and then it jumped from five to 10. And then we were 10 people from a while. It went from 10 to 20. Like what were some of it's, those kind of transitional? Yeah. Moments? Yeah. That's a good question. I think we're, it, it was about that. It was like five, you know, it's just Robert and I. And then about a month after that, we hired our first employee, which it's funny. That was really nerve wracking. It was like, wow, we're, we're actually hiring someone that's good. They're yeah. going to cost this amount of money. And, and we obviously quickly realized that you hire someone and then it just, the, the work comes in. It, it was, it, it just kind of works magically, but we probably went from five to 10 within the first two years and then 10 to 20 the year after or the second year after. And then okay. last year, so right when the pandemic hit, we were at 20 people. And we doubled in size during the pandemic. So we, we literally doubled our team all virtually. Wow. So it was, uh, I'm super proud of the team. Like, I'm not going to take the credit for this because they're, they just like, and I know a lot of companies say this, but they just killed it. They were so amazing. How, um, did, but you, how did you guys grow during the pandemic? Um, so early on, it was super scary. Like it was for most people, right? Like we just, we didn't know, no one knew what was going to happen. Um, and our business dropped pretty heavily for the first couple of months. So like April, 2020, May, 2020, but then our clients started to chill out. They were getting in a groove too. the work started coming back. And then we just, you know, people needed more software to, to do what they were doing. Mm. And, and, and I think, um, 
there, you know, I really do think some good things are, are coming out of this, this lockdown and this pandemic. I think yeah. creativity is one of them. So um, when people get creative and start thinking about uh, solving problems and that gets us more work, um, I think um, on the negative side, I think some agencies just couldn't handle it and they folded, which means less competition for us. Yeah. And I think we also, um, we just had a tailwind at that time. You know, we were almost five years old and, and uh, we had, our brand was out there. People started, we, we just had a better presence. So we had that tailwind naturally. So uh, I, I'm not saying that the pandemic allowed us to double in size, but it, I think there were some benefits of it, uh, which is not something I would have predicted, right? It was very unknown back then. For sure. Well, you mentioned something important that, that we, we chose to see it this way, which was at the beginning we, when our business, man, took a huge hit, just like everybody's, right? It's like, all right, we all got the same story there. But I remember coming to my team saying, this feels like this could be a moment of forced innovation, mm-hmm. right? Typically, most people wait for convenient innovation, right? Where I had the time, I thought about this. Hey, let's guys, let's work on this. Let's R&D this. Uh, but it's like, no, this is gonna be a time where we're gonna, everyone's gonna enter into forced innovation where you got to figure it out. Here's now the new challenge. The world has changed. Yeah. Uh, your clients are, are here. We thought they're going to be here. How do we keep them? How do we add value still in a virtual world? And that was neat to see, not just Very with our cool. business, but with your business, with, it was so many, it's like they had forced innovation and their teams found a way, found a way to keep adding value or found a way to pivot and create a new income stream or does that make sense? Oh, it totally does. I mean, look, I think that the, the easiest uh, example or the best example of that is the restaurant industry, right? Like I, my hobby, my wife and uh, our hobby before the pandemic was going to restaurants. Like we just loved it. Um, And obviously that, that industry just got killed uh, during the pandemic, but the ones that survived, uh, they just were very creative about how they approached the business. You know, they started doing meal kits, like tank home yep. meal kits. And I know that's very common now, but that wasn't, if you remember no, back all. then, it's like, oh, that's a really interesting idea. And it, it helped their business, um, you know, stay afloat. So I, I, I totally agree that innovation, that forced innovation, I think is a really cool thing and something we should, um, it just shows like uh, how resilient human beings are, right? Uh, you, we just get through it, man. Like, yeah. and some people didn't, and I, I feel, you know, a lot of empathy for them, but, uh, there are some cool things that, that have come out of this. Yeah. Uh, I love that you mentioned that. Cause the first thought I had when you're talking about restaurants is this place called the curious pig right down the street that we loved. And we, I remember hearing word, Hey, they're still doing something. And we're all, cause you've been eating groceries and whatever for a few months. Like, <laughs> what are they doing? They're like, they're doing these take home meals. You can drive through. And they've got family size portions that, and they're, the menus are going to be the same this week and it's going to change next week. And dude, they had a line out the street of people that were just craving restaurant food. Isn't that cool? Yeah. It's so, so cool. cool. And they were able to stay afloat just doing and that. Just the, and I loved seeing the gratitude of, of the restaurant owners. Just like, thank you so much for supporting us. It was just like a cool thing. Yeah. Um, and I think some of that stuff's going to stay. Like, I, I actually think. You know, first of all, as we talked about, I think uh, restaurant owners and chefs are going to become more creative. Um, but I think they're also going to do, you know, regular in-person dining, but also supplement with these take-home things. And, and I think it's 
it's just interesting how things change. I think it's great. Yeah, when you see weaknesses in your business too, like so the restaurant owners I know always knew this weakness but didn't have to address it really until COVID, which is how small their margins were. Yeah. Like a restaurant's margins tiny are tiny. And so the smallest disruption to how many people they can seat in a month or not having the demand that month can really, I mean, yeah. like that month they can't make payroll, right? And so that's a business challenge that like you can solve. Even It might be difficult, but it's like, okay, well, at least we're now we're asking the question instead of having it as a given, is there a way we could operate our restaurant where we have better margins, right? But don't you think, yeah, you're right. And don't you think that's going to make them healthier after 100%. all this is done? They're, they're going to, yeah. I mean, so for us, again, my business in the coaching world, with that point, our business was all referral, right? And when, when, when business goes away overnight, right. And you need to recoup that income to keep paying your team and doing whatever you, that model no longer works. You don't have the luxury of waiting around for a referral. Right. And so we said, well, I guess we'll have to learn how to be the kind of business that can generate leads. They can go and target an ideal customer and educate them and motivate them to work with you. And that was a whole learning curve. Our forced innovation was the whole year how do we actually learn how to do sales and marketing instead mm -hmm. of living off the luxury of, well, when people, when you do good work, eventually they tell somebody and that comes around, you know, yeah. and our business is now stronger for it. We're still going to have referrals coming in. One came in yesterday. It was awesome. But we also have this whole other engine of the business that's making us grow faster because we started to solve some of, not all of, but some of the problem of how do you go out and generate your leads for the business? And I think, that's going to be if you're a restaurant owner who figured out how to increase their margins even by a few percent because of COVID, you're now on the other side of the pandemic with people coming back going, well, dude, I've got a, I've got a business that's got better margins. That is going to be healthier all around for the business, right? Yeah, you can pay people more, all that stuff. It's great. Um, but when you say forced innovation, I, I really like that term. Um, it was instant forced innovation, right? I mean, instant. if you remember, it was overnight. It's like, okay. Everyone's at home now. Yep. How are we going to do this? Yep. People Which that would say- super I, scary, right? Like yeah. It's scary. Yeah. So I I, mean, I, I was coaching uh, we, we want this large insurance company, and all these insurance agents were now having to go uh, virtual, have all their meetings virtual instead of whatever. And there were so many people, I can't do this. Insurance can't work this way. And I was like, well, you better figure out a way. Like, this forced innovation time. You're either going to yeah. figure out a way yeah. to still meet with people and- help them and serve them or you're going to die on the vine and what they found was they were able to like you get over your own objections and your own we can't we can't and then you find out we can and we will and we do and now you have a whole nother i mean they at the end of the pandemic they said i still like in person i'm going to do in person but i realized my territory just expanded vastly because i was able to meet with people at my computer instead of having to drive and, and how many visits could I make in a, in a day and driving? And I'm like, yeah, the boundaries. Same thing with hiring. I've talked to just like you, so many mm -hmm. people, they're only hiring locally because they had only ever had the model of this business can only work if we're all in the same building together and realize for their business and their industry, they could actually hire someone across the country and them still be a connected member of the team, do really great work and whatever. And so now their pool of who talent broadened tremendously because they weren't just looking in their zip code they were now looking you know across across state lines yeah no that's a really good point um but it's yeah it's it's been challenging for people like it, it's been a crazy time 
Uh, and look, this none of this would have been possible even 10 years ago. If you right. really think about it, like the, if this pandemic would have happened 10, 15 years ago, we would have been in a really rough spot Absolutely, because our business couldn't operate. There's no way. Oh, yeah. Like many businesses couldn't operate. Absolutely. Even just the fact of, of whether it's interfacing with your clients or your own team. Like how would you have, how would you have interfaced with your own team? Uh, we couldn't have, we couldn't have, and that we couldn't have operated. It would have been impossible. Wow. Yeah. Man. Uh, so I'm also curious in terms of, <clears throat> in terms of putting together your teams, mm-hmm. how do you guys think about putting together high performing teams, right? Cause you have project work base, you have different people. Are they always in the same team for each project that they get no. mixed and matched? No, good question. Uh, no mixed and matched. So, we like to we like to uh, have people collaborate with other people as much as possible and, and different teams. So we never just have this is your team and these are the people you work with ever. And not only that, but um, our design development and production teams all work together all the time. It, it's mm. super collaborative, uh, which honestly does work better in person. It's it's just a lot easier, um, particularly. Uh, you know, whiteboarding and things like that. It's just, yeah. we can do it virtually, but it's, it's, it's not, not the same, the same energy. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it is a good question. Yeah. We, we, we love people to be able to uh, work with different groups and, and, and um, on different projects. And so we move people around a lot. And that is uh, again, if you're cut up for it, it's great. If you're not, it can be really challenging and, and, it, and stressful. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine if you're, if you're the person that likes consistency, same people, same routine, yeah. whatever, that's uh, gonna be challenging for you. It's it's not. It's probably not gonna work. Yeah. How do you how do you go about deciding who's on what project and who's on what team? I don't do that. <laughs> I have a production team who does that. So gotcha. they 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 look at the what's in the pipeline. They look at when projects are wrapping up and and figure out who's gonna be available. And they assemble teams. And they're really good at it. And that, as we talked about before, that's something like we just figured out like in the last two years, cool. we just, we didn't have that before. What was it like before? Well, it was a smaller team. So it was easier. You know, it was, it, again, that, that growth was, uh, I, I would say 10 to 20 was the most challenging time. Cause we had 10 people. You don't really need a lot of process. Like I was doing a lot of the work myself. Robert was doing a lot of the work. Uh, we just got projects and we did them. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't very complex, but then when we, we scaled up to 20, we didn't have any processes and it kind of messed some things up. That was sure. a really challenging time. Um, and it actually affected the culture in, in a negative way. You know, people were really stressed out. Um, so we, we fixed that problem. We saw that as a problem really quickly and we fixed it. Um, fortunately, uh, by were, putting in more process. What but, were some of those processes that were needed that you guys put in? Yeah. I mean, we didn't even have project management until we hit, you know, probably 15 people, 15 or 18 people. We didn't have any project management. We, we just, the people on the team would do the man, like they would just manage and yeah. Robert and I would, would be sort of the account execs and things like that. So not having that when you're 20 people was a problem. Like yeah, it was drop a big problem. Miscommunication. Yeah. It just, yeah. we really, it was a, it was a risky time in our business. Definitely. But we, you know, we fixed it as quickly as we could. And, yeah. and now we're investing heavily in that, in that we call them, uh, we call it the production team. So they do project management and product management and they're client facing 
they're in charge of budgets, timelines, you know, actually wrangling all the work together, getting everyone what they need, right? Uh, so we we over invested in that in that team, and and it's and it's paid off a lot, and they're they're fantastic. Wow, it's just great great team. Those are those kind of your primary <laughs> leaders below the seniorship senior leadership level. They're not really leaders. They just they're the producers, so they are like the point person for each project, and okay. and they all have many different projects. Um, we do have a director of production who who runs that team. We have directors who run all the all the main teams, but um, no, they're not. Yeah, they're not leadership in that sense. Gotcha. They're, they're just uh, they've got a very important role that needs. It's very important. Yeah. Gotcha. What's the now at forty people? What do you feel or anticipate being the biggest challenge at this at this stage? Yeah. Um, honestly, hiring because because really we do have a lot of work coming in and we can't, we're not keeping up with it. Uh, you know, we have to sort of, it's a lot of work for the the production team that I just mentioned to, to try to figure out how to staff these projects. Cause we, we just need people. It, it's, um, it's a, again, it's a high quality problem, but it's, it's still a problem. Like we yeah. we're we're always hiring. And, and as you know, hiring is, is a lot of work. It's, it's very it's time intensive. It's money intensive. Very time intensive. It's yeah it's a huge, it's a huge, uh, part of, uh, the energy that we put into this company. So that's our biggest challenge right now at this size. Um, just, just I'm not, up the, with the demand. yeah. And what's cool is like, what's not a problem is worrying about the work, like the quality of the work. Like that's like, it's something I was so reluctant to do, you know, is to delegate that workout, especially when I was doing it. Yeah. Um, now I can just sit back. I don't even, I never worry about it. I know they're going to do just amazing work. It's, it's a really cool thing. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that for a second. Cause that's a really hard transition for every founder to make mm-hmm. is that in, in eventually if your business grows, you will get to the place that you are getting in the way of the business growing. If you cannot figure out how to delegate, right? hundred percent. You yeah. become the cap early on. You were the reason the business grew. And now the fact that you're still holding on to certain things is the reason why the business is stalling but it seems like it's more of an emotional issue than it is a tactical issue. Oh, it totally is. Yeah. How do you, how, how did you go about kind of overcoming that fear of, or that need for control or whatever that to start delegating? Well, it, yeah, it was a process, but you know, again, we hired, we hire really talented people. So it wasn't as hard as, as it, as it could have been. Okay. Um, and we did, you know, probably three years ago, we, 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 promoted someone to the first like director position and and that was um director of product design so i this person was like our number one employee our first employee and they were very talented and we just thought well why don't we have this person run this design team now uh and so that was my like biggest step into completely delegating i you know i literally handed over the reins at that point and i'm still involved of course but very little. Like I'm, I'm involved from a vision standpoint more than anything, not from a day-to-day work. Like I don't, I don't really even know all the projects, projects that are going on, but it's a nice thing again, to be able to just trust people uh, to do amazing work. And I never worry about it anymore. It's just, it's like, I see, I see the final product sometimes. I'm like, yeah, of course it's amazing. Like it doesn't, it's not surprising. Yeah. Yeah. 
So let's compare and contrast your role and responsibility now versus then, right? So then it sounds to me like you were having to be all things, all people, right? Early on, you're the account executive, you're probably landing the account, you're part of servicing the account, doing, you know, doing some of the delivery, that kind of thing. Start delegating that out. Now you said it's more of a visionary role. Let's, let's kind of double click on that. What would you describe as kind of your main focus these days? Yeah. So my main focus, I still would say is sales. Like I, okay. I, I, you know, I'm part of the sales team. I, I talk to clients all the time. I love it. I absolutely love it. I love learning about people's industries and businesses and crazy ideas. It, it's so much fun to me. Um, but I also, you know, as I said early in this conversation, culture is incredibly important to us. Um, and so a big part of my role is just checking in with people all the time. So we do regular one-on-ones with everyone in the company. So I do, I probably do six to eight one-on-ones uh, every week. Wow. So it's just a half hour call. And I just talk, I just talk to my team personally, like, how's your, how's life, man? Are you getting outside? Are you hanging out with friends? What are you doing? Uh, uh, how are your pets? And then, and then I just say, you know, do, is there anything I can help you with? Like wow. uh, from a work standpoint, and I love it. I absolutely love it. It's just to connect with people on a personal basis. And we've done this for, for about three years now. Um, and it's getting, you know, at 40 people, it, it's now getting, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of work. Uh, so I meet with everyone on the team uh, every two months, if that makes sense. So yeah, every two months I'm talking to the same person. Um, but that's, so that's a big part of my job, honestly. It's just that's kind of, a lot of time. Yeah. It's a lot of time, but I get a temperature check of, of the company that way, like the whole company. Like, what are your challenges? Uh, where do you want to go? Do you want to, you know, a lot of times people say, I, I want to, where's my upward mobility? And I say, well, what do you want to do? And they say, well, I want to be in a leadership role. And then I help them get there. Mm. Like, I, like, like, let's figure out how to get you there. Let's make a, and then I work with them throughout the year to, to reach that goal. So that's a big part of my job. Uh, and then just, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sales, but I'm also account exec. Like I, I our friends are our, our, I'm sorry, our clients are our partners and friends. So uh, I hang out with people. Like, like we we have a, we have a really cool client in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which I've I've never been to, but I'm like, you know, let's drive there and meet them. They're a, they're an amazing client. Let's meet them in person. And so we just hung out, had dinner, you know, had a lot of fun. And so that's that's part of my job. It's just kind of, um, you know, look, people are giving us a lot of money to make software. That's very mysterious. Mm. Not a lot of people know how that works. So it's a trust. Trust is super important. Yeah. So I, I'm, I help build a trust. Right. And, and, uh, it's, it's a fun part of my job. I love it. Uh, I love that you, you said that that's actually one of the challenges we're experiencing right now. And so I want to just ask you about this is when your business is growing, right? And you are forming all these new relationships and bringing in new business and you're having a hard time even keeping up with the demand. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we can overlook the things that feel like slowing down. So slowing down to connect with the team regularly or slowing down and going the extra mile to connect with an important client by driving out to them. How do you balance that? Go, man, we're we're meeting new people. We've got new people in the pipeline we're bringing in versus not forgetting about Let's just say for this part of the question, not forgetting about that client we're already working with. That's such an awesome observation and question because it's 
we did that. We did forget, like, especially during the pandemic, it was like, holy shit, like this, sorry, I, I swear once oh, in a while, but um, this client has been with us for five years, like almost since the beginning. And we haven't even reached out to them to see how they're doing. Like, that's a problem. So yeah. we, we identified that as a problem. And then we started setting up virtual happy hours. Just let's just talk. Right. Mm. And it was really fun. Uh, it was great. So yes, that could have gotten kind of messy uh, because really the most important thing for us is like client retention is as important as employee retention. Right. Oh, yeah. it's, it's such a huge investment to get a new client. Mm -hmm. And if we lose them because we're not, we're treating them like a second class client, like that's not cool. Well, it's not right for one thing, but it's also bad for business. Yeah. It's not smart business yeah. either, is it? Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, that's uh, this is just me being transparent with you. That was like a month ago. We kind of had that wake up call. Like, wow, like we've been so in go growth mode because of the yeah. pandemic and whatever that like, sh ah, we what? And so literally we were coming up with like, hey, you need to try to play golf with so and so. We need to reach out to them and and let's drive in person to Nashville because there's two of our clients there in Nashville and we could go see them in person now, you know, and yeah. That was it was almost like even a heart check. Not just it was a brain business check, but also even like a heart check. Like, ah, I do value you. I I want to make sure you know that, right? Yeah, authentically. Yeah. It's not yeah. cool to like forget about people. They're again, like I it sounds uh very similar to your to your business, but we're friends with our clients. Like yes. we value them as human beings, we care about them. So if we're ignoring them, that's not cool. Yeah, like it's that's not okay. And we still feel like you took a chance on us. You know, when you're in those first several years of business, a lot of your customers are people that to some degree took a chance on you versus the established competitor or something. hundred percent. Right. Yep. It's like, man, I want to reward you for that. Like you saw something and you took a risk and it's paid off. Obviously that's why you keep paying us. But like, I can't forget that you took a chance on us when we didn't have the resume yeah. that the competitor had. Right. Yeah. No, you're totally right about that. Man, I'm curious for you, as you look forward this year, you know, last year, survival, forced innovation, what theme, if you think in creative terms like that, like, well, how are you kind of conceptually organizing what this year is about for your business? Okay, so a really important part about this year is uh, diversity, right? Uh, our, our company is just not where it needs to be. So we're, we're investing and we're learning and we're trying to solve that problem. And it's, it's, it's always going to be a work in progress, but you know, what, what our goal is to, is, is, we don't want to make this, yes, it's an initiative right now, but we want to bake it into our culture, right? Where it's yeah. just like, oh yeah, of course, like that's a natural just, outcome. That's how we work. And yeah. we're not, we're not there. So we identified that, you know, a, a while back and it's, we're, we're, it's going slower than I would like it to, but it is, it's, it's a lot of work. So we're, we're trying to do it right. And, and we're also, we just don't know how to do it really well. You know, it, it's, we're trying to hire, you know, people of color and, you know, more women. And uh, we don't want just a bunch of white dudes working in our company. Right. Right. So we're, we are working really hard on that. So this year uh, is, is a big, big part of, of what we're trying to do. Um, we're also trying to uh, diversify our, our design uh, offerings. And what that means is we don't want to just design software. We're really good at that, but we want to design solutions to business problems. Uh, and I don't know what that means. Like it could mean 
cool. So you, you're, you're a business that comes to us with this problem and there's probably a digital solution that's part of it, right? Um, but maybe there's also um, a physical product that ties into that or some service design or it's all of the above. So, um, I mean, that's my big vision is to be the best design agency in the country. Just whatever your problem is as a business or a startup or as a, as a person, uh, we can help you solve that through, through design. Wow. And design's a very broad term, of course. Like it's any kind of design. Yeah. Well, we're gonna have to talk offline. I think <laughs> I think there's some stuff where, the, as our business is growing, that we've talked about. Like I, we might need a software solution for this at at some point. Uh, or maybe so, not, right? Or maybe you know that's what yeah. I mean. Is, you know, a lot of people come to us and say we need this app, and we say, cool, yeah, maybe you do, but maybe you don't. Right? Let's figure out what you actually need. Yeah, that's so good. Oh man, this is awesome. Uh, I've really enjoyed this. I, I want to get to our lightning round questions. Uh, I don't want to take up too much more time on your Friday, uh, but truly, Nils, this has been super valuable. And, yeah, time and time flew by, which means uh, you know it was fun for both of us. I guess that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, buddy. Question number one of a lightning round is this: If you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? Uh, be good human beings. Hmm. What does that come to mind? Well, because I think you know. We have to treat each other well to, to build good, like cool things. Right. And we have to treat our clients well. So being a good person, I know that's a broad thing, but um, it's really how we do business. Like we, we value other human beings. So, uh, and each other, and if, yeah. if that doesn't work, then we can't collaborate and, and, and really function. So good. Love it. Couldn't agree more. All right. Question number two. What is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also what was the worst? Oh man, that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, best advice was probably from my brother. And he said, don't worry about the money. Just do what you love and the money will come. So, oh. and, and I, I really, I know that sounds like everyone says, don't care about money. You have to care about money because you need it to survive. But if you don't, worry about it you know money can be a huge distraction so uh he always said just do what you love and the money will show up so i thought that was that's probably the best advice i've gotten you know i've gotten a lot of good advice throughout the years but um the worst advice is probably um you know a lot of people told me to pay close attention to our competitors and i don't i've never really thought of it that way like i I don't really think of anyone as a, as a competitor. Like we work with a lot of people who would be considered competitors. So yeah, yeah. That, I think that's bad advice to, to care too much about what other companies are doing. Yeah. You know, let's just do our own thing. And, and, you know, yes, you know, gain knowledge where we can and, and, and look at what, pe- how people are doing good things, but, uh, and how they're doing it, but don't pay too much attention to it. I think, you know, uh, it might sound a little reckless, but it's worked really well for us. Uh, I couldn't agree more, especially because sometimes you find your competitors being your collaborators and other times you're overlooking what your, your, your unique niche is or your purpose is because you're reacting to them. It's like, no, yep. trust yourself. Uh, that's awesome. Number three, what causes you the most worry or stress leading your organization? Yeah, man, it's, a, it's the hiring. It's the, yeah. again, hiring. When I say that, I mean, when should we hire? when should we hold off on hiring? That's been the 
for sure the biggest challenge and the biggest point of uh, anxiety, I would say. Cool. What is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal for this business? Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's to be the best design agency in the country. Like that's, that's what I want to do. I, I feel like, you know, if we have the team that we have is incredible. And if we have a process that works, then we can design anything. Yeah. And that, that that is, that, that's my, but, but I also mean like, um, best design agency means best culture too. Right. And best place to work and all that stuff. It doesn't mean just the work that we're outputting. So, yeah. So like a holistic, a holistic view of that goal. Yep. Love it. Okay. Question number four. If you, oh, sorry, here it is. Uh, sorry. Question number five. If you could hop into a DeLorean, go back to the past and tell yourself just one thing out the driver's side window, when would you go back? And what would you tell that younger version of yourself? God, that's so interesting. Yeah. That's our is this the DeLorean with like that you can put garbage into to make it go? This, or is yeah, it, this has got, this yeah, got a flux capacitor. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Um, probably. Yeah. I think like early on in, in this, in this company at Foundry, I, we, we had one client who was probably 80% of our, our revenue and that was super stressful. So I would go back and tell that person in me in 2015 to work hard on diversifying our client base because, because mm. we, Honestly, Drew, like we could have folded at that time if that client would have left and there, there would be no, we wouldn't be talking right now about yeah. this company. Yeah. So um, that's what I would have, I, I would have done. Cool. Great advice for people out there. I mean, it was, it was one of the first weaknesses that we identified that we had always thought was a strength was, yeah. holy crap, we have 75% of our business tied up in this one client. That's a big, that's it's a big scary. liability. <laughs> it's so cool when it's happening, but then you're like, oh my God, what if they left? Like what yes. are we going to do? Yeah. yeah. Or what if their business takes a downturn and they can no longer afford to be paying for your outside services like the pandemic, you know, things like that. Exactly. Um, well, Nils, this has been awesome, man. It is, it is clear to see uh, why you guys have been successful. you got a great heart, a great brain on you, and you guys are doing some amazing work out there. So thank you for taking the time on your Friday to come on here and, and share with us uh, your story. Yeah, thanks for talking. Thanks for all the great questions. Appreciate yes, it. Sir. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.